0: Thank you. Hey everybody, welcome to We've Got Rain, a Doof Media podcast series where we expertly dissect and discuss Rain, Ward's objectively most badass character. My name is Matt O'Fire O'Love Freeman, and my favorite thing about Rain is his little robot arms.
1: And I'm Scott Daly, aka On the Precipice 6969 and my favorite thing about Rain is that one time where he did a Tony Hawk thingy down a crystal ramp. This is the weekly podcast where Matt and I eagerly dive into Wildbow's world of Rain appreciation, anime getting exactly what it deserves, and alien-based death powers as we analyze and interpret this ongoing web serial. This week, Infrared continues with chapters 19.c and 19.5. Gilpatrick's interlude continues as Rain finally takes his rightful spot on the pantheon of all-time badasses, disconnecting Scotty from the other titans and getting a message out that just might prove the decisive move in this ongoing battle. Then... Victoria reels as the new Titans emerge from the cracks. Finally, after 10 arcs, the breakthrough band gets back together. Chris is on on the triangle. And all decide collectively that they're fine. They're good. They're great. It's it's fine. Yep. Matt, what do you think of these two episodes, these two chapters?
0: Uh, I mean, first we're treated to 19.C, the Gilpatrick interlude, where, I mean, this is the kind of treat that I'm just like, this is this is the. This is the best stuff, you know, f- for me anyway. Like, like it's got, it's got this like kind of pieces of, of mundanity interlaced with cosmic horror, if you will. <laughs> yeah, that, sure. That sure. is just fantastic. And I just love it. Um, And then of course, the subsequent Victoria chapter, we have all breakthrough together again, which feels extremely, I think I've said this the last like 15 episodes, but feels extremely like climactic. Like, okay, we've got... Oh, yeah got the team together again that hasn't happened in like half the story um so that i don't, I don't know there's a, there's a there's a fantastic feeling of culmination and like oh uh, this is it buckle up
1: yeah i totally agree and and i'm on board for it there's a lot of fun things that the that this like things are coming together i think you were talking today while we were preparing about how much harder your job has been yeah. lately
0: yeah, I've noticed. Um, basically, this has gotten, I think, almost steadily worse as the as the story has gone on. But like, the further you get into this million word thing, um, the more kind of intertextual or I guess intra-textuality, the more referentiality mm-hmm. there is between what's happening right now and everything that already happened. So like, every sentence, every word, every paragraph of of like nineteen dot five, I could talk about for like a page. Because it, it all links back to other things that happened before with Victoria, with other characters, with with all these different thousands of little facets of of character and, and plot and background and how that relates to other characters and so forth. And so like as I as we've gotten this deep into the story, I'm just having to like just skip things yeah. more, like more and more stuff. I'm just having to just be like, all right, could definitely say something about this don't have time, just going to sure, have to sure. stick to the, the really most important things. And I, I think I, I did want to say that on the show because, like, on, honestly, I, I on, on, in some level feel like I've done a worse job and I, I kind of thought about it for a while and I was like, well, I don't think I've got a worse done a worse job. I think um, I think that th- what I just described is actually happening and it's just it's it is actually yeah. impossible to cover every single thing.
1: Well, and when you said that to me, it, it made perfect sense to me because I, if you looked at my desktop today, like I had like 30 tabs Uh that were each a different chapter of ward open because in my work I am reading old chapters so much more than I have been at any point throughout the story like I had half of the eclipse arc open today I had just some early rain chapters open like I had so much stuff open that I'm reading back to because you're right it is all referential it is all like culminating like that's like this is the culmination of the story in in some ways so it makes sense that this is happening, um, but yeah, it does. It does make the summary job pretty hard. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, yep. Yeah, let's get let's let's head into that. Uh, let's do it. Quick announcements first. Just a reminder for everyone: the all-packed-up finale of the Deep Impact show will be occurring on March sixth, just the entire day, March sixth. Yep. Twenty-four that, hours.
1: That whole day. Um,
0: that's going to be on YouTube, right?
1: Yes, it'll be streamed on YouTube um, publicly, so anyone will be able to tune in. Well, I don't know about that. I, they might do Twitch. I don't actually know. Yeah, I don't a, actually know. We a, should talk to Elliot and Rubin about that.
0: Yeah, we've got a, a good month and a half or so to mm-hmm. um, to get that information straight. But just, you know, mark your calendars, March 6th. Yeah.
1: And one other quick announcement. Uh, we talked about this last week, but our show Kingslingers, uh, a Dark Tower podcast, is officially live uh, we did our first episode last Thursday covering the first chapter of The Gunslinger. This week we are doing chapters two and three of that same book. Um, and if you haven't checked it out yet, we strongly encourage you to do because uh, we're barely into this thing and I'm already having a great time.
0: It is very, I mean, pretty much everyone has commented on how uh, unusual and interesting it is to have you be the Matt and me be the Scott. So <laughs> yeah, it's at, least, at least check it out to see what that's like.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Especially since I just finished the uh, script for that episode and it's it's real long and Matt hasn't even put his parts in yet. Oops.
0: Oops. Oh, we'll, Oops. we'll figure it out. Yep. All right. 19. C Scott. And this is Gilpatrick's Patrick's interlude, but the continuation of Gilpatrick's interlude because we, we just had that, uh, Gil passes out and in into a dream memory after the, um, uh, the emotion, uh, entity uses its power on him he finds himself in a beautifully mundane moment shopping for wall decor with his girlfriend miranda he ruminates on how his job puts strain on his relationships and how he's resigned to the job ending this one with miranda just like it ended the last one.
1: Oh gosh I-, I love this scene so much matt it's so good i find this so powerful and moving especially this little opening part i think mundane is the right word and i and i find it like it's so great how Wildbo can write mundanity sometimes, right? Like, I know he's this genre writer, and he does this, this crazy horror, science fiction, fantasy superhero stuff, but what highlights his strength as, as a writer is moments like this, where it's just two people in a relationship just shopping with each other, just talking and shooting the shit. And then we take this and like move into this like wonderful detail. Um, uh, and how like it becomes this rumination on how his lifestyle is alienating the people he loves. He's he's a soldier. He's a cop. He's some kind of weird combination between the two with this patrol black stuff. And he's choosing to put his life on the line. And that is destroying every meaningful connection. He has every relationship, every romantic connection he has. And I, I think this is so important because we've seen this before. Like, this isn't the first time this thing has been explored in the story, but it's usually coming from a Cape perspective. And I do think there's something different to that generally because capes like they don't have a choice whether they're capes or not. And, and we've talked so much long about the conflict drive or, or whatever the the powers want you to fight. And they, so just saying, okay, I'm going to quit my job as a Cape is a lot harder than saying, okay, I'm going to quit my job as a police officer or as a patrol block person. Um, and this it, here, it feels different to me. And, and it's so significant that the Gilpatrick is mourning the loss of this relationship that six months out, but he's not going to change to, to avoid that from happening. Like that is not even, he not even presented as an option for him.
0: Yeah. He identifies as being, um, the guy who he is. He, he kind of needs to, he needs to be this helper and he needs to feel like he's, he's, um, you know, checking the corners for darkness, as we saw in the last chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think, but uh, I, I do think it's a really great move to in, include this very like d- domestic, mundane scene because it it anchors us in just him as like this wholesome guy who mm. who's really capable of kind of a normal. Uh, well, hmm, do I want to say like he 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 seems to want a normal life, but also he he kind of recognizes that he's not going to be capable of it.
1: Yeah, but I don't. There, there's, there's so much. I mean, there's a lot of agency there for me. Like because yeah. he could have it. Like he could. He, the this is this is an example of what a domestic life would be, and it, it's something that, on some level, I mean, he says to to Lucky Break in a bit that like this person is really important to him. Like she grounds him. She gives him purpose, but he can't have it. Yeah, because the one thing in his life that he would need to change to avoid this from failing, he won't do. Um, I don't know that's fascinating to me and I think I think what this kind of subtly does is maybe fill in some blanks for us and makes us maybe understand why Gilpatrick like was immediately like I get it with love lost because this is close right it's not quite the same but it's close it's like addiction to the job and how that's destroying the relationships with your loved ones um, yeah so that's that's close and so he sees that in her and recognizes that and is sympathetic to that and I yeah like that,
0: that. that's a really good connection because I mean I think you're exactly right to point out that There's no point in these chapters where he thinks like, man, this is destroying me. I can't keep doing this, Uh Uh, even though like we as the objective observers that 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 does definitely occur to us. And and the same exact thing is true of love loss. So, yeah, that's a cool connection to make.
1: Yeah. I do think it, I do think it's interesting here that he says that like he's re- he's thinking about w- one of his past relationships with failed that failed with this woman named Heather, and he says telling Heather the bad stuff had been his first mistake, ending it too early had been his other mistake because it had made him the bad guy, had hurt her too deeply. And I think that's interesting because when I first read that line, the idea of like he's avoiding breaking up with this woman even though he knows the relationship is going to fail because he doesn't want to be the bad guy. My initial reaction there was, ooh, that's not a good look. That's not a good look, buddy. Yeah. But- I think it's more complicated than that. And I and like I didn't I I eventually came around to where I'm like, oh, it's not just him being an asshole. It's 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 a little bit more than that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I think I had a similar reaction, but I think what makes this a little bit different than our, our kind of gut reaction would suggest is that he's not saying like I want this relationship to end, but I don't have the guts to do it. Right. He's saying, I know I know this will eventually become too hard on both of us. And so I'm just going to to like t- terminate it prematurely or, or in, in this case he's saying uh with with mirinda he doesn't want to terminate it pre- prematurely but he knows it's going to end um just yeah well, despite what either of them kind of want
1: and he's tried to do the good thing in the past and and terminate it prematurely and it, it in his opinion at least it doesn't make it better that way it doesn't make things easier he says here it hurts her too deeply um
0: I think the answer is that there is no correct way to go about this because sure. he he is he is essentially choosing to live this life that's just going to keep causing this to happen. Yeah. Um it's really sad. Yeah. It is and he doesn't seem to have like solved this problem in in the present day either. No, so.
1: he has not. He has not.
0: Yeah. So back in this moment, Gill likes the painting of a boat, um and he also likes uh the idea of just nothing, <laughs> just just nothing on the wall. Yeah. Uh, Miranda doesn't like boats, but she suggests a painting of people gathered around what looks like an altar. And this painting clearly creeps him out.
1: And the payoff of this painting is like the best fucking part of this chapter. I yeah. loved it so much. But um, in the meantime, until we really understand what the painting is and what it means, I love the the imagery here. of Basically, they're at the mall. They're decorating an apartment that presumably they're going to be living together in. She's trying to domesticate the space and put artwork on the wall and really like and bring this domesticity to their lives. And he is rejecting that he's rejecting that doesn't want art on the wall. And the one thing he picks, which is a boat, which is like it's just a, he can just go fuck off onto the ocean on this boat. Like <laughs> It's just like metaphor wise. I think it fits so perfectly that like he's just kind of rejecting this idea because of his reticence around the relationship, because he knows it's inevitably going to fail.
0: Yeah. The, the boat is sort of like a symbol of escape and isolation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I like that. I didn't think yeah. too much about the boat at all. I mean, it, it is sort of superficially. It's like, it's a joke. It's like, Oh, I mean, sure. like a man, a man, a man would want a boat and a woman would roll her eyes at that. Um, that's kind of the level of comedy. But I think you're right that like, uh the, the there's a deeper level there perhaps
1: yeah i mean it's it's playing off a lot of that kind of stereotypical stuff and and i wonder like the thing that we know for sure is that this is a construct this dream right like this is not this is not a memory in the way that things actually happened the 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 dream world is taking these memories and distorting them around the mall remember that's one thing that it did with all the other uh capes that that came into the dream room so what part of this is constructed, and what part of this is what the way things actually played out is never entirely clear to us. But Gilpatrick makes it sure that this is not the way some stuff went down.
0: Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, we have the moment where he just like glances up idly and he sees into like th- through the roof into deep space with this like triple helix spearing across it, um, and then seeing that he's like, "Hmm, teriyaki or Greek." <laughs> um, which is, which is, just, it was hilarious. Like, it's funny because it's, it's so, it's so nonsense, but like I immediately got what was going on, you know, yeah. like it, I wasn't, I wasn't confused for a second. I was like, Oh, I like, he's, he's going to be seeing weird shit, but it's not going to impact him because that's not like what the memory was. Right. Um, yeah. But I mean, it's it, a cool, it's a cool trick. Cause it reminds us, this is like. Something between the dream and the trigger vision sort of within the context of, of the, the dream room, like you said. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Got to go back to the mall. Everything yep. happens at the mall.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's funny. I mean, I wonder if this scene happened at a mall in the first place or if it was like.
1: Right. And the part that I wonder about is whether or not the stuff with Mirinda uh, I was. It? Did I just say her name right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, and and lucky break happened at the same time, uh-huh. or whether the dream room kind of took these two events and mashed them together or not, because it seemed like like you said like with the whole the the stereotypical man like sailboat picture woman no like that uh-huh. um but it is playing off a lot of like domestic stereotypes, and I wonder if part of that is just part of that this is almost constructed as like a show, uh-huh. um because like. It, Like we also see um, Lucky Break's girlfriend who eventually leads him down the dark road that ends up dead. And it's like all this stuff happens in this one scene. Yeah, it just feels it feels constructed to me in a way that I think it's supposed to.
0: I mean, certain details like him looking at the painting and having the reacting, the the reaction that he has um, uh, are. Like like that that definitely didn't happen. Yeah yeah <laughs> uh, sure. So yeah sure. I think you're right. So like you said, as he's looking through these paintings, he notices a teenager loitering nearby, um, and fairly quickly quickly recognizes the teenager as Lucky Break, the cape who he uh, tried to befriend. Gilpatrick very tentatively strikes up a conversation with the young man, and it kind of becomes a conversation about how to decorate your home, but it's also about separating your work from your everyday life and making your home somewhere that you can relax and find sanctuary, which is actually very relevant for both the kid and for Gilpatrick as it happens.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I'm I'm curious when you figured out who this was, because it literally took me until the end of the section to figure out what was going on here. Um, And not that I'm saying that because I didn't get it, that must be the way it's designed. But I, I really, when I went back and read this, I really almost feel like, the chapter kind of doesn't want you to necessarily know who this is until the very end. I mean, maybe, maybe like the the original plan for this chapter was that all this stuff happened in the same chapter, right? Uh, 19.B and 19.C. So maybe like with, with some of the lucky break hints more fresh on my mind, I would have picked up on it sooner because there are little cues to like the, the way he reacts to things like that lines up with how he's described lucky break in the past. There are hints throughout it, but I did not get it until the very end
0: yeah I think I got it at the point when he's trying to talk to the kid and the kid is is like being a bit skittish but then gradually lured in and I just I just remembered that lucky break existed um, and was important (laughs) to him and then also when the other woman when the woman comes up and kind of pulls him away I remembered like yeah I mean he specifically mentioned that there was this villainess who kind of pulled him into her circle and then that was the last time he saw him and it just it matched the story really well Um, Yeah, but it wasn't like immediate. It was partway into their conversation, I would say.
1: Yeah, and, and the point of all this is just I think it's designed that way. Like I, I think I think it wants you to go into this thing and get really confused right up until the moment where it all kind of locks into place. Because I think it makes this conversation so much more fascinating when you're not exactly sure who this kid is. Like cause the conversation is weird if you don't understand the underlying subtext of it, right? Cause it's just like they're being super cagey around each other. Like at first you're like, why is he like talking I was like asking this random teenager about artwork, <laughs> like, yeah. like there, like there's just these moments in the scene that I think like just kind of work better if you're not a hundred percent sure what's going on.
0: And it, I mean, it's it's a it's a strange interaction anyway that kind of requires some reading into because, like, uh, I mean, I can't think of I don't know. I'm going back to like Taylor for example, like if Taylor had been out of costume and like had this sense that she was made. By some somebody she recognized as being prt affiliated on the street, she would have just like booked it, right? She wouldn't have like yeah. sidled up to them and 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 basically um, participated in striking up a conversation. Um, but so this, this kid is not only open to it; I think he basically is is wanting to have this conversation. He's he's oh, wanting yeah. to reach out to somebody.
1: Yeah, and like Gilpatrick is really terrified here of saying the wrong thing, pushing too hard, not pushing hard enough. There's a lot of we see a lot of his internal thought process as this conversation is going on. And I think on on the one hand, that adds to the confusion because you're like, why is he being so careful? But once you realize where this is going, it really makes sense as like an overall concept of what's happening here, because like it's almost as if present day Gilpatrick is is influencing what's going on in his internal thoughts in a way that he's like, is this is this where I went wrong? Is this where I messed up? Is it not saying something here or saying something here, pushing too hard in this moment, not pushing too hard in this moment. Is this where uh, I pushed and or didn't push and he left and I lost and that it's all my fault. Um, and under that framing, like his, his reticence and his nervousness at handling every little beat of the conversation makes so much sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, He's sort of he's sort of trying to he's trying to help him right like fundamentally that's the yeah. that's the operating principle that he's working under here is he he sees his kid he's like oh this is a chance for me to help this kid who's clearly having a rough time um, and um, so he's he's kind of gradually trying to reel him in but very worried that he's just gonna to run so at at, at a certain point um, the kid brings up Gilpatrick's girlfriend clearly wanting to like make a connection. And and just it basically just means it as like a nice statement. He's also being skittish though, um, and he he's he's he looks like he's ready to run when Gilpatrick presses him on whether he has someone, um, he has a girlfriend or someone he can rely on. Yeah. Um, and then I actually think that Gil slightly misreads his reaction to this because Lucky Break flinches, but I don't think that he's flinching at the question because it's too invasive. I think he flinches at the question because it's exactly the crux of the problem that he has and and why he's here in the first place.
1: Yeah. I like that. Um, like it's, it's almost as if kind of the framing of it is, um, where, when Piro walks up, it's like, this is, this was the last moment, right? Like he's unsure about this relationship. He's unsure of where it's leading him. And he's, he's maybe like going to use this moment with Gilpatrick to be like, help, help me. Um, and sadly Gilpatrick isn't able to, but, um, I so I, there's so much I want to talk about this whole thing though because when Lucky Break brings up the girlfriend, Gill sees it as such a non sequitur that he almost immediately gets defensive, right? Like his assumption here br- very briefly is, did he bring up my girlfriend as like a threat? Like right. it, it, was that what it was? That what it was? He's threatening me, and then he realizes very quickly, oh no no, it's not that. But I think that, that goes and really helps establish the tone of this like very cautious, nervous. Unclear interaction between these two people that aren't even like speaking. They're not speaking straight right because they're like there's meaning underlying everything they say on they're talking to each other as two random strangers in a mall, but they're also talking to each other as PRT and Cape Um, and and I love I love that double layer thing going on.
0: Yeah, they're almost trying to phrase things in a way where it would appear to a bystander like it's just an innocuous conversation while simultaneously covering the ground that they want to cover. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's really great. It's really great. It's fun to reread, too, because you see all these details that you might not have caught the first time. Yeah, it's really but, fun.
1: But Gilpatrick mentions that his girlfriend, he says she's special, makes me feel like I'm something more like I belong in this world. Really, I don't know what I would do without her. And then he repeats to himself. I don't know what I would do without her. And she'd be gone in six months, which is just heartbreaking. And like I I don't think I don't think he's lying. He, like I think he really feels this way, right? Like it, it's just a, it's just an amazing contrast between the beginning of the story where he's like this relationship is doomed, there's nothing I can do and and this realization that no, he needs her. He he really does need her, but he's going to lose her anyway. Um and I, I I think like the the irony here, of course, is that Pirouette is is Lucky Brand like Lucky Breaks' girlfriend. Yeah, or or whatever we want to call it. Like she shows up immediately after this, and she's old enough to be Gilpatrick's age, and old enough to be Lucky Break's mom. And it's clearly like she's this dominate, this domineering role of the relationship. And but I don't know. Like, do you see like in this moment he's like talking about how important that significant other is to his life in in Gilpatrick's mind? Did that push Lucky Break towards pirouette instead of away?
0: I hadn't made that connection. Um, <sighs> I mean, I think he uh, my read my read is that like he break kind of knows something is r- wrong with his relationship with Pirouette. Like I th- I think that he, yeah. Oh, yeah. he he gets that this is not an equitable and healthy relationship. Like he seems to have a kind of like longing and bittersweetness when he kind of compliments Gil on his on his girlfriend or, or however you want to phrase it and um i think he's i think he recognizes that it's a that it's a messed up relationship and so sure. so i don't i wasn't reading it as like as him as him taking gill's statement as a kind of affirmation that like oh yeah well the most important thing is that you have somebody uh even if they're um somebody <laughs> who's going to kill you and put you in a barrel sure um but i don't know that's interesting i i'll have to consider that
1: i'm not even sure that i would say definitively that like that is what lb's take on it is but i do wonder if we have we have gilpatrick this guy who's who's kind of racked with guilt over what happened to this kid and his his failure to save him on a certain level and i wonder if this is reflecting like this is the scene that he's seeing in his trigger dream um is this reflecting on how he feels that he fucked this up and yeah and and so this it's this is his fault. He could have saved this kid. There's this, this wonderfully tragic moment when like they they he transitions away from talking about his girlfriend to this concert he's like really, really excited for. And Gilpatrick is like, Oh, I can get you tickets to that. Like I can get you great seats. I know I know a guy in the music industry. And it's like, but but like some random person in the mall wouldn't be able wouldn't couldn't do that for you, right? And he's like, Yeah, yeah, right. And then it's just like no, no, just do it anyway. (laughs) Like, like you don't have to keep the charade up for that. Like, yeah, I I, I don't know. Like there's just so much tragedy here.
0: I think it's really cool. These kind of these beats you're pointing out because it makes me wonder. I'm not saying I think this is the, the truth, but it makes me wonder if this isn't like an executive summary of like five different interactions he had with like with Lucky Break over a period of time. Yeah. And then this shard is like the fuck you trauma shard. And it's like, all right, let me take all of these things that Gilpatrick ruminates on when he thinks about what happened to Lucky Break and collate them together and basically just shove in his face everything that he has to regret. Because, I mean, I think it's it's noteworthy that, like, the the dream memory isn't the moment they find the kid in the barrel dead. Right. The dream memory is this was this is what you torture yourself with. You torture yourself with this missed opportunity, or maybe you shouldn't have mentioned this, or maybe you should have mentioned this, or maybe you should have extended a more, a more firm offer for help here. Um, Yeah. I I like, I mean, I really like this idea again. I don't know if that's like what's happening in this, in this chapter, but um, the idea that, that this shard is like collecting and shoving all this stuff in his face. I find really uh, interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's not necessarily in in conflict with what the shards have showed or what the dream room's dreams have been before. Uh-huh. Like it is it is different from them, but not necessarily in like this doesn't line up at all to our understanding of how the dream room works. So I mean I don't think it's necessarily a hundred percent the right read, but I it's a read I like a lot. So
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, sure. It it, it twists details, we know that much at least. Yeah. yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um so yeah then it it all culminates in just this moment of, of fantastic horror where the the dream the dream is fading around him fading away into into blackness into space and it says the last things to go were him Miranda and the image on the one print Miranda had pointed out here at least a red muddled background like clotted blood men and women in their white forensic coveralls and in the center their altar a metal barrel with concrete within a slice of a desiccated face peering out where metal and concrete had been removed. Um And that was the painting that he had that reaction to.
1: Yeah. It's such, it's such classic shard bullshit, right? Like yeah. it just takes this, this horrible event and just shoves it into this memory in this like innocuous mundane way. But it's just like the, the existence of these shards keep like, crashing into mundanity and just ripping it apart yeah. um i i love i love it so so much it,
0: b- before i forget there was one you know when we, i think you even quoted it that w- when he said that she would be gone in six months i think that that was literally just the knowledge that she would be gone in six months i don't think that was like oh and she'll probably be gone in six months i think that was the, the dream basically being like like stepping outside of the dream frame for a second and being like yeah you you needed her and she'll be and she absolutely is gone in six months because you know what happens
1: yeah well that is interesting because generally when we're in these dreams the point of view character is conscious and aware and watching kind of right yeah um and we didn't necessarily see that here Uh, true so that the Maybe it's just he's not used to the experience or maybe it's just because this is some weird nonsense connected to the trigger. I don't know, but it is a little different in that yeah. way. So maybe I mean, maybe that you're right. Maybe that is his consciousness kind of like coming into the dream in a different kind of way.
0: Yeah, it's it's. I would say maybe he's like partially aware of, of the fact this is a dream. Partially yeah. not. Yeah. Um, so he wakes up and he finds Marshall horribly maimed and rain fighting the emotions wolf.
1: OK, we got it. We got to name this thing, Matt, an emotions wolf. <laughs> Is just not covering it. Oh, if you say so. All right. So it has eight limbs. Uh huh. It's got this paw that looks like it and it describes the licks of flame frozen in time painted to look like red or blue steel. So It's eight limbs, blue steel. It's the Zoolander spider.
0: Okay. Zoolander spider. It's a Zoolander spider. Okay. But it's got a wolf face, doesn't it?
1: I'm worried that Zoolander is an old enough movie where people don't get blue steel as a reference anymore.
0: Uh, well, they need to go watch Zoolander then. That's Clearly. all. I mean, that's... Zoolander like spider. Them not getting the reference is not an excuse. Zoo spider. Yeah. Okay. Zoolander wolf spider? Spy- Spylander. That's, that's a lot of words. Okay. We're good. I think we got it. We got it. So... Um,
1: so it, it is. it is as soon as we wake up that we kind of see the theme of this chapter and of this episode of the show take hold, Matt. This is the rain fucking badass chapter because we wake up to rain screaming at the zoo spider trying to get its attention and focus desire on him basically in short 19.c is the rain is the goddamn hero chapter in every every imaginable way every way
0: it's great it's great um so the creature uses its power and provokes gilpatrick into this insane violent rage and he attacks marshall uh the two of them grapple with each other it's mostly just him doing just like horrible gut-wrenching things to her mutilated body uh, he yeah. does manage to drag her away from the fight and i don't know about you scott but i read some intentionality in this like there's some vestige of his prt trained awareness prompting him to get her to a safe spot even while he's obeying the programming to torture her
1: yeah i think that's 100 percent correct and i think the text actually very clearly supports this i think we kind of see through Gilpatrick's italicized thought process during this whole thing that he goes from kill maim destroy to uh, need more time, more time to kill. And, and, and we see after he pulls her out, some small part of him had been able to convince his rage to drag Marshall away, to delay, to postpone. Um, so I think, I think that is absolutely what's happening here is, and it doesn't, it doesn't go into detail about his PRT training, but I think you're right. It's just like the, the, the kind of subconscious training that's been ingrained in him, uh, perfectly solves his problem in a way that doesn't result in her, him brutally murdering, <laughs> murdering this girl
0: it's great because it's simultaneously like horrifying and a hero moment it's yeah. the kind of thing that could only happen in parahumans
1: yeah exactly yeah i, I like it that's that's perfect <laughs> you, the only the only place where you'd be happy with i need to drag this person out of here so i can kill her good over here and it's going to take a long long time it's just long terror. Like, like some of the things he's, he's saying to himself as he's dragging her out of here are just horrific, right? Yeah. Get her through the doorway, take her to pieces, quadruple amputee, stick her in a barrel, which is like the most devastating. Like I, I, when I read that, I like, I took my breath away. Just like, that's how, that's how bad this emotion on him is. These, he's taking this feeling and connecting it to one of the worst moments in his life.
0: Sure. I mean, he, he just woke up from this, from this dream, which was basically his trigger event functionally. Yeah. And, and, and he's, he's still in this frame of just the worst moment of his life. And then, and this is, this is the the material that comes up in that moment. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's awful. I love it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like, needs to be our, our subheader. It's awful. I love it.
0: Yeah. We love this and it's awful. I love it. Are the two, yeah. the two emotions. <laughs> um, so love lost races to save rain after he's wounded and she faces down the zoo spider.
1: I, I can't like I don't think we can o- overstate what an important moment this is for Love Lost, Matt. That's she amazing. rushes she rushes in to save rain. Like think of the the character from the beginning of the story and the character now. What a, what a journey she's gone on.
0: And and to be clear, like she was already safe and she yeah. runs back into the room yeah. Um. after he's been knocked down and she puts herself at risk to save him.
1: Yeah. And like uh, Colt says she wants to go with her and and Love Law says, no, stay back, help the others like like it's it's like entirely selfless. Um, I, I think nothing exemplifies the moment of her growth more than comparing her action in, in the dream room against her dream room monster. To Cradle and his right. Cradle stood by and watched his monster like his trauma strike out and destroy those around him. Love Lost, on the other hand, says no. She steps in and faces her trauma directly, faces down the manifestation of her mistakes, of her choices, uh, of every moment that she prioritized her job over her daughter. She faces that down and screams in its face and tries to save everyone else. And it's just this perfect comparison, like showing how one character didn't grow and the other did. I love it. I love it.
0: It's so beautiful. It's it's a huge catharsis because Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's the kind of thing where when you start when you start a storyline you're like, well no no way well, like there there's I can see no way that this can be mended. This is this is the worst imaginable thing. He's responsible for killing her daughter. She's she's driven mad with rage. She wants nothing more than to kill him personally. This is her number one objective. Yeah. This is an unmendable rift between two human beings. And this is a story that has all these themes about repairing relationships and connections. And we have this beautiful moment where it's completely earned. It's you completely buy that she has been through this journey where she is now ready to put herself on the line to save this kid.
1: Yeah. And it, it gets to me to talk about something we talk about a lot is that execution is more important than just about anything else. And so like this storyline, I think I think it's been clear to me for a while that this is the moment we were heading to with Love Lost. And so it's not like a surprise in this moment that she steps up and does this. But it, it, just because it's not surprising, just because it's not a twist, doesn't mean that it doesn't have catharsis. It's sometimes like sometimes the most expectant thing is a thing that still needs to happen because that's just where the story was going. And, and I I worry sometimes in stories we get so mixed up in the idea of twists and surprises that we like, that we think that the expected is boring. And I, I just disagree when it's executed. Well, the expected can be so cathartic and, and seems so wonderfully earned and just feel good. And I feel great about love lost in this moment.
0: Yeah. I think I remember the moment at which I went from like, no way will this ever be repaired to oh there's hope and and now we now we have that uh yeah. you know fulfilled, yeah. so yep, um yeah, totally, so we learn at this point that several of the people who entered the dream are already dead uh Diaz Kelly, and Hansen are the real people who have survived, plus uh Cox and Valentine. I'm doing air quotes yeah,
1: and um so I when I originally read the first chapter, I read Cox as a man that turned into a little girl and turns out that there's nothing in the text that says that (laughs) I literally think it was just because his name is Cox and I'm seven years old. That's, (laughs) that's literally why I think I did that.
0: I, uh, I don't know why I also thought the same. I feel like there's more to it than the fact that we're both seven years old though. Um, I think, I I think it
1: might, it maybe makes the scene where she's revealed to be a little girl. like, I think that's a lot funnier to me if he was like a a full grown man and now is a little girl. I mean, it's still funny to be like a grown woman and then suddenly you're a little girl. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I literally think it was just because his name is Cox and I'm I I, I am a child. But um, what this also means, Matt, is that your boy Gaiman, the anti-parahuman that becomes a parahuman, is not going to come to pass. Sorry, Matt.
0: Well, that was all I wanted out of this story. It's been yep. taken from me. That's
1: it. That's how he wanted that story. <laughs> it's the no, one I mean, thing.
0: I mean, my prediction record for Ward remains zero. So, um, just, you know, that's perfectly in keeping. Uh, but uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Maybe something else will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, Gilpatrick manages <laughs> to get Marshall outside the dream room. And from there, Colt takes her off to be reconstituted. Gil argues with Bijou and Matryoshka. That they should stay and help reign in Love Lost. Uh, and then Gil tries to distract the thing with his own howl of rage, but it becomes a howl of desolation and sorrow.
1: Oh, my God. This is one of the most like powerfully written s- scenes in this entire chapter that's filled with powerful moments, right? Yeah. Like I just want to read this because it's so good. He thought of Lucky of the girlfriends who hadn't been able to handle the secondhand pain, the victims he'd seen across the years of service, the kids he taught who were traumatized to their cores by the way the world had ended, the loss of loved ones and their utter powerlessness in the aftermath of it all. Too many for him to help. He'd have curtailed their numbers, screened out as many as he could. He turned away the kids who needed someone who could explain what had happened, and now this part of the world that had seemed like something that had happened in the background, on television, and in movies and games, was now everywhere and everything, 90% of the reason the city had sprung up so fast. He waited until the growling had died down enough, then stepped out onto the salted ground of the area beyond the door, and then screams. It's like this, this moment, like this... This... this incredible moment of like the, the, the disappointment and the anger and the frustration and, and the sorrow all coming into this moment where he steps out and does the heroic thing.
0: Yeah. I I thought it was, uh, it really got me because like before he steps through, he's like, Oh, I'm going to do what I'm going to do what they did. I'm going to yell like, like rage at it and get its attention with rage. And then when he actually screams, it comes out as just like this howl that contains all of that, sorrow and loss and pain and it's a completely different kind of color of emotion, uh, than, than what, than what they were using. And it, and it even, you get the sense it surprises him. Like he didn't even know he had that in him and it's, uh, it's, it's painful. Yeah, Um, it really is. I love this, just the sentence or the, the, even just the clause that, that, that this is 90% of the reason the city had sprung up so fast. Basically we're, we're linking this back, I think to this concept from very early in the book, the beginning of the book of like, Man, they sure do seem to be putting this city up fast. Like, This is kind of surprising. I think a lot of people going into Ward were like, oh, it's post-apocalyptic. It's like, yeah, it's post-apocalyptic, but everybody's trying to pretend the apocalypse didn't happen. So they're slapping this city together as fast as they possibly can to just get things back to business as usual, to just paper it over and not have to think about it. And he's saying right here, this, that that's 90% of the reason the city sprung up so fast is we, we, we want to pretend everything is normal, just sho- shove normalcy back in front of everything, even though it's not at all. And, and as we see the cracks run through everything still. Yeah. So
1: what what I love about this is something that I don't think we've talked about explicitly before, but this idea that like to all the normal people in the world, capes and superpowers were like, like <clears throat> they existed and they were a part of life, but not really like like to, like something that had happened in the background on television and in movies and games. This is stuff that existed in the world, but we were kind of immune to it. It's kind of like like Americans and war, right? Like the, the United States military has been engaged in conflict for decades. And but the majority of Americans only experience it on TV. It's not really a part of our lives. It's not a part of our everyday lives. We don't feel it. Uh, most of us, some of us do, obviously, but and then suddenly this comes to the forefront and it, it it becomes everything. It becomes what everything is about at all times, constantly. And that like how that just throws your entire understanding of the world for a loop. Um, and I that's something we haven't really talked about on on how para-humans versus regular normal humans differ. Um, and and I love that like part of Gilpatrick's rage and sorrow in this moment is attached to that feeling these these poor people who never knew about any of the stuff and suddenly it was thrust upon them.
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, this is one thing where uh, I guess we've touched upon it a few times in the story, but the idea that gold warning was this trauma that scarred every single living human. Um, I guess this might be the first time that we we had a character literally think of it in those terms. Um, we've had many people who obviously were still reeling from gold morning. Almost everyone is reeling from gold morning in some way, but he's basically thinking like, yeah, it was, it's, it's the instigating trauma of this whole story. Um, and yeah, I, I I don't know. It's, it's, I I like, I like where this falls in the story. I mean, we've said a few times, I feel like we're nearing the end. I like the idea that we're having this character kind of just, uh, lampshade the idea of, um, yeah, that that that's what this story has been about. It's been about everyone trying to deal with this this uh, shared trauma. I think that's the difference between Worm and Ward. One of the differences is that Ward is about this shared trauma. Every, everybody shared this trauma, and and they they all react to this very differently.
1: Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. I love it.
0: So anyway, Love Lost drags Rain to safety as fast as she can, but the thing hits her with its rage scream. Uh, This this text says infused with an insane rage. She did exactly what she had been doing seconds before minutes before. (laughs) So it it doesn't do anything to her because that's her secret. She's always angry.
1: Yeah, I loved it. I loved it. It's just like it's a perfect like payoff there, right? Yeah. Um, Like in this moment, you're like, oh, no, she she failed. She's going to kill rain. It's like, nope, that doesn't affect her at all.
0: Yeah, she's Um, she's always she's always furious at the world for what's happened to her. So, so this yeah. doesn't even move ne- the the needle for her.
1: Yeah. Um, we, we do have to mention that the only reason that they do manage to escape with their lives though, despite the rage scream, not working on love lost is because of Matryoshka, uh, who after listening to Gilpatrick's pleas to stay and help out and not go off and do whatever the fuck they were going to go off. Um, he, she pulls out another clip that she had hidden and just empties that entire thing into S- spiders lander. So. So thanks. Yeah, I, I retract my meanness to them.
0: Yeah. Well, I, there are some recurring beats here about uh, sure. the characters reaching out to these characters who who have come to do to, to kind of do their own thing. And these guys are like, no, no, you like help us help us. And, and they then and they do. And it matters. Mm-hmm. So they enter into the shardscape and it's just this very delightfully disorienting series of events from here on out. We've had our primer on how the shardscape works from the last time we've been here before. So we have some basis for understanding. But Gilpatrick doesn't. And also Rain and the others just almost immediately start doing things that we haven't seen before.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll admit that a lot of what goes down in this chapter is like so abstract as to confuse fused the hell out of me, especially on my first read. But I think that's OK. Like, I, I think it makes sense in context because our point of view character is super confused. We're extremely confused as well. Um, and, and I don't think like I think one of the things that I, I struggle with sometimes is like the need to make sure I understand something completely. And I don't think you need to know the details of how this is working to get th- that it's working. We just got to get eventually Rains, He's hacking the planet just hacking the planet. Yeah.
0: That's how it's working. I think my, I think what's funny is when I first read it, I felt like I understood what I needed to understand. Yes. And then when I came back to, to do the notes, I realized how much I didn't really understand in a clear <laughs> way. And then, and I think after thinking about it, I think I'm like, well, that's fine though, because yeah. you don't need to know the mechanism by which rain somehow does something with the memories of mama Mathers or the connection to mama Mathers and then breaks off a piece of the thing that then becomes a bridge you just need to know that it happened, sure, yeah, and yeah. And, th- and that's really enough for this for this kind of milieu of, of what we're doing here.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're dealing with like the physical manifestation of an alien computer mind, like the yeah. <laughs> the, the mechanisms for which how the details of it work are um, not that important.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think the idea, and this only occurred to me today, I think the idea is that the reason why the shards are interested in dreaming is that dreaming is is, is interacts with their own uh mode of cognition in an interesting way, and this is why like like it's really th- think about how weird it is that these people are able to escape through a dream into their shard computer like that's that's kind of a that's kind of a unforeseen glitch right like i'm sure the i'm sure the entities didn't do that on purpose, so I think that like the idea of being in kind of a dreamy floaty abstract space is what gives them the power to manipulate this, this place. Sure. And like, by definition, that's not going to be something that you can clearly write down.
1: Yeah. So. Yeah. I get that. Yeah.
0: So I love, I love this moment where rain is trying to reverse engineer things and he just casually drops, um, uh, you know, j- just me, love lost Colt and, uh, any of you who secretly have powers, you just joined this mission.
1: <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, we've given rain a lot of hard times throughout the course of this show. Um, he's given himself more hard times than anyone. But dude uh, knows what's going on. Like, obviously, like, it was very obvious to us, so it makes perfect sense that it's super obvious to him. Um, And I love that, like, he just doesn't want to, like, he's too busy to, like, deal with all of it, to deal with, like, the why. Why is this happening? Who are these people actually? He just needs to do what he came here to do. And so he's going to acknowledge it to to the extent that, like, he needs their help. But yeah. that's it.
0: It's perfect rain dealing. He's like, OK, yeah. we we have an objective. I, 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 I see what's happening here, but I don't have time to deal with this right now. So, yeah. And,
1: and yeah. meanwhile, Gilpatrick kind of gets to be the detective here who's trying to figure it out But because like, he's he's asking Cox stuff like, hey, uh, what uh, what unit were you part of? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where did right. you come from? And yeah. they, of course, don't have answers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the attack on the surface starts breaking apart the island and blowing eruptions of crystal into the sky. Rain disconnects the portal folks from the mall cluster, but probably doesn't take their powers uh We'll, we'll see on this one i guess
1: yeah um i don't i don't know it's like it's stuff to starting to get really abstract right yeah uh, and I'm not sure what the fuck is going on so yeah. the system is down, uh-huh. so the shard monsters can't stop them from what they're doing, so they just basically get to go nuts on the shard world, and rain seems to be able to just carve pieces off of it at will like he's deleting things and the act of deletion slices it off of the island that they're on because like the crystal assumingly is made up of files of memories right so therefore like deleting or disconnecting causes things to be cut which is a great kind of tie into his power right like he literally slices things in half with his power yeah i wondered
0: if that was like why he can do this um, cause, cause everybody seems to have their forte and we've never seen anybody else do this thing where they just cut things off. Like, like, is that literally cause that's his power or is that just a coincidence?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, he makes it seem like he can teach love loss to do it and he declines, um, he declines to do it because, uh, because he's worried about love loss. So yeah. like, uh, but they have similar power. So maybe it's because they have similar, I don't know. I don't know if this is like a, a thing that's, reserved for their cluster only or not, or if it's just a thing everyone could do. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I'm, it matters. I mean
0: I think I, I agree with everything you just said about what he's doing. Right. Like he's he's breaking the landscape apart and he's and he's cutting connections. Um that's the important thing. We don't know how he's doing it. It doesn't matter.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um like you said though, um won't, he won't tell Love Lost because he's afraid she's gonna bottomize herself if she tries to cut herself out of the network, right? Yeah. 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 Um so yeah, uh, does something to Mama Mathers, um, erases her or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah.
1: So, so one thing I wanted to circle back around on, sorry, I, I lost this, but, um, basically love loss is demanding, right? Like demanding, yeah. like, so you can disconnect these people from the stream room do it to me do I don't want I don't want to go there anymore I don't want to have do with anymore please she's like pleading with him please do it to me and he won't do it he won't do it for the reasons we talked about but then there's a, a moment a little bit later where he's kind of gotten a handle on thing and he basically says I think I can carve your daughter out of this enough and like carve it out to be its own island to where the shards won't be able to the 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 island won't be able to connect to it anymore. And therefore the dream room would not be able to pull f- from it from your daughter memories as much. And maybe that would at least make it more bearable. And she refuses, she refuses to do that. She says, no, don't, don't try to do that. Um, and I mean, there could be many reasons. Like one of them could be like, you're short on time. It's not, it's not important enough to do that. Um, but the other could just be maybe like, maybe she doesn't want to lose like I think there's maybe this push and pull of like I don't want to see this thing over and over again in the dream room, but I do get to see my daughter.
0: Yeah, I I, mean, I think that's exactly it. Honestly, I think that I think that if she had to keep coming to the dream room to be tortured, but didn't even get the solace of having like a short flashback of some time that she spent with her daughter, even if it's not pleasant, then that would just be terrible. Like I mean, if you think about it, these dreams are obviously on the, on net super terrible otherwise the room wouldn't be doing it to them but like at least she gets this little this little refresher on what her daughter was like yeah yeah um, as as it stands
1: yeah i I wonder on that like it's it's got to be the most painful horrible experience possible but on the other hand um like she does get to see her i don't know i i bet there's a i bet there's a conflicted feeling there um yeah yeah yeah
0: i don't know I, i think you're right though so from here, um basically the next thing Rain does is he breaks Scotty off from the Titan cluster somehow. Um that's pretty awesome.
1: Yeah, I mean that's like huge, right? We knew that happened, right? We knew after the bomb went off and Victoria suddenly uh suddenly like is back up again in powers of change that one of the first things they learned was Titan Scotty was disconnected from their network and we were like, Oh, that's convenient. No, it's not. It's fucking badass rain.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the fact that he, did, that he did that surgically is pretty cool. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's really great.
0: So as they're kind of in the middle of their mission, though, the crew ends up chasing Biju and Matryoshka as the two head off on their own mission. As they chase, they observe light flashing down and repairing the shattered crystal landscape, which is presumably Fortuna creating new connections and making new titans.
1: Yeah, yeah. We, we've jumped ahead in time a bit here, and, and we're seeing what— basically was occurring at the end of the last chapter. Right. But from below Fortuna is basically doing a like brute force reboot of shard world and, and, Placing herself in the Scion role almost, and it's like bringing everything together. And I love the tactile nature of how these islands rejoining is described. Islands moved, creaking and screaming, scraping against one one another with a glass on glass sound. The light flashed down in beams and rays, and when they were done, what had been two was one. And flashes of light that had had nowhere to go were now traveling the distance. Um, it's 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 haunting, powerful imagery. And, and I want to kind of talk through this with you though, because we've been talking about connection so much throughout the course of this book, right? When the Titan problem arose, we first talked about how the problem had become literal, uh, both in that the Titans are literally trying to connect to each other and more metaphorically in that the lack of connection in humans is what is giving rise to more Titans. And here we have kind of possibly Fortuna's endgame revealed, literally rebuilding the bridges between the islands that Scion used to be able to do, like rejoining everything in Shardworld into one, r- literally reconnecting the network literal connection on a massive scale and this is what our heroes are trying to stop and yeah and it's really interesting because i think this is something that wild Boat does and i say in all his stories meaning the the two i've read um like in worm which is a story about bullying the key to success at the end of the story was to bully the bullier yeah <laughs> and in this story about connection the key to success seems to be to prevent the connection destroyer from connecting everything um and I love like it's kind of like his his willingness as an author to explore every side of a theme and not just the one particular one.
0: Yeah, it's it's awesome. I mean, so so, and we can talk about what like where we think this is going. Right, because um, the human's goal is to keep the shards from connecting and from forming a new hub and the shards to the extent they have a goal is to keep the humans from connecting with each other in their own human way because yeah, yeah. i mean for one thing it it makes them better vessels of of conflict when they're isolated and and don't have support but also they literally turn into titans and like shard vessels when they're when they're uh, i guess you could say completely disconnected from everyone else so both sides are trying to disconnect the other which sort of then gives you a little you know, blank to fill in. Like, what if the answer is something, something, the solution is both sides stop trying to cut off each other's connections and instead reinforce each other's connections somehow. I don't know what that looks like, honestly. Um, but like, obviously the thesis of the book is connection equal good. So um, I, it, like, I don't I don't think they're going to just like succeed and, and win and the story will be over when they have shattered all the shards apart and the shards all just die. Like, I don't think that's the ending of the story.
1: No, yeah, I, I agree with that. I don't think that's the ending of the story either. Uh, I, I just it, it is it is interesting how we like explore this idea of connection, because um, we talked about this in the past that there, there are good connections and there are there are bad connections. Yeah. <laughs> and we're, we're exploring that concept. Um, and it's it's very fascinating.
0: Yeah, yeah. So the two interlopers are going to do something relating to their case 53-ness. Uh, we're not really sure what exactly. I think it, again, it's it's the, the, once you understand their goal is to somehow fix the case 53s. It doesn't matter what exactly they were going to do. But Rain argues with them and, and says, hey, this isn't the way to go about this. The, the, like the risk of, of an even worse outcome is really high. And he convinces them by riffing on Colt's observation that uh, Fortuna wanted this damage to be done as it was done and that anything they do will be playing into her hands. And they sort of admit this is true, but they also just kind of throw it right back at him and they're like, hey, like whatever you're doing also plays into her hands.
1: Yeah, which is is absolutely true. And that's kind of the the central problem of everything that our characters have done so far, which I think will be kind of explicitly nailed down in the next chapter as well. Like everything that they've done in this battle has been Part and parcel of of what Fortuno was trying to do, um, except for this one thing rain is about to do importantly. Yeah. But um, I, I, I this is such an important moment to me. And like we talked about rain, the hero and, and all the amazing things he's done. But I think this is one of his most heroic things, right? Because he's here with these people that are about to make a terrible mistake and he's pleading with them to not do it. Um, like he, and he promises that he will help them any way he can. If once all this stuff is over, if we survive it, if there's a time when we can be sure that there's not going to be like, like extra problems that happen with this, um, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that and we'll, uh, and we'll come back here and I'll help you in any way he can. He's making these promises. And what I love about this is he doesn't like, have to stop them like maybe I'm just reading this wrong but I don't think so like we're not exactly sure what the two of them are going to do but it seems to me that the risk of what they're going to do is is less than like gonna accidentally end the world on their own it seems like what they're mostly the, the risk of what they're about to do is just horribly fuck up any of their case 53 friends if they try to do this and it doesn't work the way they think it's gonna do work
0: yeah So that's my read as well.
1: Okay. Okay, great. So he's not like he's delaying the stuff that they're supposed to be getting done here because he sees someone about to make a terrible mistake. He sees someone about to do something that is going to hurt people that is going to destroy people. And he even says like, you're about to do something terrible. You're about to make a bad mistake. And he's got all the, all the patrol people are yelling at him, Gilpatrick, And, and I I think Kelly is one of their names is like, is like we we're running out of time. We got to go. And he's like, no, this is important. This right here, what I'm doing right here, stopping these people from making this mistake is, more important than anything any of that and that is to me the moment that rain truly became president
0: <laughs> yeah i i agree uh i i was gonna say exactly those words um <laughs> well i no, i i think this is like a character culmination for rain yeah, in all seriousness yeah, yeah. Um, this this moment where where he's like, I can't I can't stand by and let someone do something they'll regret. Yeah, because yeah. Th- that has been his whole arc and and leading to this moment. And and I mean, like, seriously, he he could have and and maybe other uh, Wild Bow protagonists w- would have been like, no, fuck those guys if they want to do that. The, the, like, you know, knock yourselves out. I I have something more important to deal with, which is, you know, messing with con, with with Fortuna's whatever she's doing over here. The stakes are much higher over here. But Rain is not doing any kind of utilitarian calculation. He just sees somebody about to do something that they'll regret and that's going to hurt people. And he just has to stop them. And that is yep. his that is his arc, basically. That, yep. that's uh and I want to, I want to, and it's also, I think, one thing that makes this so powerful is not only is this like a great um, uh, climactic and and cathartic moment for Rain's character, but it is also for Gilpatricks. And yeah. I just want to read this whole bit right here. So Rain is is standing here after having convinced them not to do the thing with. Uh, with the case of two threes, but now he's just, like, like, paralyzed by this idea that whatever he does plays into Fortuna's hand, and he's clearly, like, crushed and demoralized. And Gilpatrick says, Rain. And then he thinks, this is part of my job, supporting them. He prayed his words so this eager teenager would reach or provide an answer where Gilpatrick had once failed Lucky Break. Rain looked at him. One thing he'd always wanted to ask Lucky or say to Lucky step back calm down if you had a friend who was standing where you are now what advice would you give them and and this is beautiful because it's like he gets mm-hmm. to he gets closure on this thing he he yeah. he finds himself in the situation that where where all of his regrets came from and he and he takes that opportunity to do what he believes is the right thing. And this is enough to give Rain an idea. We don't know exactly what, but he sprints very dramatically, like sprints and like slides to touch this one particular crystal bearing a, bearing a courtroom scene. And he passes a message, message to Swansong just before they all wake up. Um, And and he says he sent a message to the only person that Titan Fortuna can't see.
1: Yeah. Um. There's a lot of things to talk about here. Some of them I want to wait till the end of the episode. But I, I think I just I like... This one of the things when we finish this chapter, I was thinking to myself is why Gilpatrick, right? Like we we just witnessed a scene of them going into the the shard world. Why did the author choose to let us see this from this person's perspective? And and I I think it's fascinating because this that moment you just read is kind of the reason it's the culmination of it. Like Gilpatrick does it, it makes key choices and key decisions throughout the course of this these two chapters. But besides those key moments, he's mostly passive, right? He's mostly just like observing Rain go. He's observing Rain kind of figure out this world and do his shit. And he's observing Rain uh, conquer his trauma. He's observing love lost, conquer his trauma. He's like an observer here that that then sees the points w- in which they need to offer perspective or offer the help where they can. And they jump in at those, mom- those moments. And, and I just think, it's it's this really powerful point of view to turn this on. Like it allows us to see rain from a perspective we haven't seen him from very much, the perspective of a normal person, perspective of someone who's gone through this kind of thing with other capes before. It's just such a, a brilliant idea. Like there's, there's 20 different point of views we could have taken on this, on this, this part of the story. And we chose Gilpatrick for a very specific reason.
0: Yeah. I, I think it's beautiful. I mean, when we're, when we're, when we're in Victoria's head or, or, or in Rain's head for that matter, Rain is a cape. He's a capable, self-sufficient hero, right? He's a, he's a, he's a badass hero. And, and I think it's actually rather critical here that to, to Gilpatrick, Rain is a kid. He's a, he's a yeah. tough kid. Yeah. He's a heroic kid. He's a, he's a strong and resilient kid, but he's a kid and he's a kid that, definitely definitely can't just be left to take care of himself he he needs help he needs somebody to reach out to him and offer him this support this connection that he does here um and and it's true right like he he's he's right uh that 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 all all these capes are kids basically i mean most almost all of them are are teenagers um and and just just having somebody to be there to kind of ground them in the moment and say like hey let me frame this for you in a way that might help you is, is incredibly helpful to them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. I love it. Totally, I love it so much. I love Gil Patrick as a character. I love what he's done for rain in this moment. He has facilitated an idea in rain that will potentially be the key to stopping this whole thing. And I I love that. And, and we have, we're going to have a lot to say about rain's message and what we think it means, but I think we should wait till the end of the next chapter to really dive into that conversation.
0: Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Cool. All right. So 19.5, And the fight against Fortuna's posse uh, of Titans continues, except now the landscape is even more fraught with interdimensional cracks, and there are more Titans
1: yeah and we continue to like take that central metaphor we talked about last week and and extend it here and, and beyond the the text in this chapter starts to specifically make the connection talking about how the world is cracking and how the people are cracking and how the landscape is reflective of the 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 overall morale of of the people fighting um and things are just getting worse and worse, and there's more cracks, and everything's collapsing and it's, it's real it's real real bad, Matt
0: yeah, one of the first uh lines of this chapter is just Victoria thinking. This was bad, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which, yeah. which for Victoria means this is really bad. Um, so she briefly thinks about the recently uncovered memory of her sister and how she wants to be rid of it, but she also considers it necessary at the same time. And as she's kind of ruminating on this, she connects this thought to the idea of Contessa um, in, in a way that I kind of read as a bit of shard influence thinking, although I can't put my finger on exactly why.
1: Yeah, I I I kind of agree with you on that one. I mean, this is like the second time in the last few chapters where the text is drawing us to remember that there that there is this this weird link between whenever Amy is thinking about or sorry, when Victoria is thinking about Amy and something, something, something Fortuna um, who has quickly become like the cause of and perhaps solution to all of the world's problems. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have any kind of like, like guess about like what this could mean, like, like specifically, but I do think that the, the book is drawing our attention to it again and again in a way that it's going to be significant in some way that we we know there's this connection between, her and waste um, this almost unique kind of relationship that they have. We know that idea has to pay off in some way. Um, And so it seems like it would be interesting if this is the way that this ability to communicate between the two of them to pass on information, how Amy is going to matter to this. I don't, I don't, I don't know, but we'll, we'll see.
0: Yeah. I I don't, I didn't pull the text and I don't remember exactly, but I feel like there are times in this bit where she thinks of her as Contessa and not, uh, Fortuna, and and we have learned that we should pay attention to when she uses which names. Sure, um, like she uh, unconsciously uses the name of the person when that actually matters, and maybe that's a hint here that uh she's talking about Contessa, not Fortuna. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, actually, um,
1: which goes, yeah, yeah, yeah I think so, that's, yeah, I mean, I think that's support, like, full disclosure, I think the text makes it fairly clear that the person that rain sent the message to is contessa yeah or the child fortuna the person that's still the left person. alive inside the Titan, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah and i think i think you're right here i think that 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 verbiage there uh is very specific yeah
0: yeah um i, I think i think so so uh titan anime formerly mystic magic impaler is currently <laughs> beginning her onslaught while victoria focuses fire on what will soon be titan joke at shortcuts expense
1: so that's the name of the Titan. Titan joke at Shortcut's expense. It's a yeah, little yeah. long, Matt. Can we Is
0: it can we shorten it? Titan joke. <laughs> Ouch. Titan fool. Um,
1: so I, th- I think I, I, I we got a lot to talk about, but I don't want to move on from this too fast, Matt, because Shortcut has tightened, and that's a pretty big uh, deal.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah.
1: I, so like, we have to go back to the last interaction we had, the last time we saw this character in this book, which was when Victoria and he went at it. And he was a dick uh-huh. he, and everyone agreed he was a dick, including his entire team. And they ostracized him and left him alone. And then the cracks spread and ate him. And and like this, this moment, this moment of realization that this is shortcut to me was a shame on me kind of moment. Um, and, and I'll say what I'll say what I mean here. Uh-huh. I thought shortcut was an absolute asshole of a person. And he he was right. Totally. Total jerk. Absolute jerk. And I celebrated Victoria letting him have it and how that that she let him have it and then was vindicated by advance guards choice to agree with her and tell him to fuck off. Um, And, and I celebrated that. I was like, yeah, you earned it, you asshole. But should I have been celebrating that moment is the question I find myself asking. Should I have been happy that Shortcut finally got what was coming to him or was this a missed opportunity for a group of people to be like, hey, you're being a dick. Yeah, like, let's let's work. Let's work with you on that instead of just saying, fuck off, dick. Um, you know, like that. That's the question. This this idea of tightening is forcing me to consider in myself. Um, are we sometimes dismissive of the people that we don't like? And that comes back to bite us in the ass later. Um, he certainly was a, a, a I didn't like him too much. Like I I didn't, I don't think he was a great person, but what is the right, what is the right thing to do there?
0: I don't, I don't know what the right thing to do is on like an interpersonal level. And, and I mean, this is actually a legitimately difficult puzzle, right? So I I just happened to be reading this, um, this, this, uh, book called the body keeps the score, which is about post-traumatic stress disorder. And it makes this point that like, that kind of behavior is is a trauma symptom like like when you when you lash out at people and needle people and are rude to people that's basically like a scared child trying to make sense of their world by striking out and and in ways that to to that person's brain feel like it's defending itself from a threat so a a person like shortcut Mm -hmm. is he an asshole absolutely huge (laughs) asshole um does does his is 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 his brain fundamentally doing some kind of algorithm that it learned probably due to some traumatic experience or or, or something that was baked into him as a child that he fundamentally does not control. Absolutely. Also true. And, and this is the like this is the thing with shortcut is like normally I'm I'm capable of like being like you know, seeing, seeing the, the inner child of the person who's being a dick in shortcuts case, I was just like, fuck this guy. yeah. Um, yeah. and then, and then here the book comes and it's like, here's what you get. Here's what you get for, for thinking that way.
1: Right. And And that's, that's what I mean by shame on me moment. Right. I I I agree.
0: Yes. I I I see it the same way as you, but I don't know what to do. Like, like if a person behaves that way in real life, I'm not going to be like, come here, buddy, who hurt you? Right. Right, I'm just not like, and I don't know, I don't know how to process that information. You know,
1: I don't either. I I was hoping you had the perfect answer for me (laughs) that would, that would reformat this in a way that I'm just like, Oh yeah, I don't, I'm not entirely conflicted about how to interact with people that annoy me because they could turn into giant monsters at any moment. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's a fascinating thing to consider. And I like that the book shines a light on this without giving us that easy out, without giving us the answer. Like, I don't think, I don't think the lesson of this is no, actually you should have been nice to shortcut. The lesson seems to be, this is what can happen sometimes. Um, and, and do with that what you will.
0: And maybe you should, you know, turn the other cheek to people who are rude to you, but that's just so hard. It's you so know?
1: hard. Yeah. Especially, especially people like shortcut. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't. I, 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 it's it's one of these situations where the book has put something in my lap. This happened in Worm too, various times where I'm just like, I don't have the answer to this. This is troublesome for me. Yeah, I. This is gonna stick with me actually because I agree with you. This was a big like Victoria doesn't make much of it. The fact that Shortcut has has uh, has bit it, um, but it it stuck out to me hugely as this mm-hmm. this moment of like, oh my god, this character was introduced. He's like the first cape we meet in the goddamn story, right? Yeah, yeah. And he and he has fallen through the cracks. He has lost all human connection. He, he yeah, it's it's a it's a big moment, right? It's a big and, and if anything what's interesting about it is is the fact that Victoria uh I, I think honestly she's in a like in a panic like battle mode. She doesn't have time to think about it. Maybe she'll think about it later. Yeah. Um, but the, the fact that she doesn't really think about it is is interesting, at least.
1: Yeah. I mean, she same thing with uh, with Drillbit um, yeah. doesn't think about him at all. And that's a significant cape in her past as well.
0: Um, yeah. You want to remind us who Drillbit is? Because I forgot completely.
1: Oh, yeah. So Dr- Drillbit is the one of the four or five capes. I can't remember how many, but there were a certain number of capes when they were instituting the uh, send you to a portal to another dimension as prison punishment uh thing and he was the one that was addicted to drugs and he was the one that she was like very 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 unsure of like we remember in the scene like she was going down each one of their crimes um and what they did to deserve this treatment and he was the one that she was really not certain on the closest she came to actually being like no we shouldn't do this this is not a good idea they ended up doing it anyway he got sent to the 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 prison world and now he's a titan and that I mean that is a commentary on that choice as well right I mean like not explicitly in the text we don't have our character really look at that and and examine it but it's there Um, they made the choice to send this guy away and this is the end result of that choice
0: I mean I'm just gonna be even more literal and say like this is what happens when you send somebody to prison instead of helping them with their problem sure sure like that's what that's what she did
1: and and I don't in this conversation, I don't want to take away agency of the decisions that the characters made themselves. Right. Like Shortcut made the choice that choices that he made, um, whether you want to get into your definition of making choices or not. I, that's fine. The point <laughs> the point is that he did it right. It was him yeah. that did it. It was drill bit that did this. They did these things that resulted in these things. It is not it is not Victoria's fault. The drill bit tightened. Right. But. There is something that's introducing here of that idea of that. They, they tossed this person away and this is what happened to him. Um, and yeah. I don't think we can look away from that.
0: I agree. I think it's I think it's meant to be. It's troubling. It, it, this is one of those. It's it's unusually troubling to me because I'm like, yeah, I don't. I mean, even with my slightly idiosyncratic view on free will, which <laughs> I, I don't think that even really comes into it here because. Sure. Cause even I having the like abstract opinion that I have still have to like deal with people who are rude in real life. And like I, when I'm dealing yeah. with a rude person in real life, I'm not like, or, or, or like it let's, let's say, let's say somebody like burglarized my car or something. It wouldn't be, I wouldn't be like, oh, well it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, fuck, you know, yeah. I, I'd have a human reaction to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, it's hard, right? It's a, it's a hard problem that Wildbo has given us here.
1: Yep. Yep. I so. love it. I I want my, books to be challenging. I want yeah. I want to I want to feel uncertain about these things. I want to feel this uncomfortable feeling yeah. at times, like not all the time. You don't always want to constantly be challenged, <laughs> but there are moments when you're reading that like you get to these things and you're like, huh, and you got to process through how you think. And, and you, that answer might not come to you easily. It still has not come to me. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think one of the things that you can do is kind of remember this when you're in interactions with people that are being assholes or treating you like jerks, maybe, maybe remember these moments and, and, and try, I don't know. I don't even know if I'll be capable of doing that.
0: I mean, I, I think that, I mean, that's a cool idea. The, like the notion that if you just in that moment of feeling offended, kind of imagine that this, this is a human being standing on thin ice and all they need to go through the ice is you just giving them that one last little shove. Maybe that's enough of a like metaphor for you to be like, okay, calm down. Yeah. Yeah, They're they're in a bad place. I'm up. I'm upset. I don't need to shove this person to their death potentially. And then, and then that can make the difference, right? It could make the little, the little, because like how many times in, in your life has just like the smallest, the smallest nice thing that somebody did that they didn't have to do made a huge difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, I don't know. I'm going to have to <laughs> process this anyway. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this, I think this connects all this in an interesting way. So, so we get this little aside about how teacher actually targeted the super magic dream parade, team uh three separate times with his little psyops
1: yeah um this is just like a nice little backfill info for us to make maybe make us understand why these anime guys might have been brought so low that the cracking could have cracked them um i do like victoria's reaction to this is very interesting though because out of all the people that went Titan to the two people that have very close interactions with victoria that we already talked about um she reacts the most to this one, and here's what she says: a heroine i thought fuck um and it's it's just like despite herself and everything she's been through, Victoria kind of is still holding on to this hero villain dichotomy here at the end of the world um <laughs> and even learning everything that you just said about about what teacher did to them, Victoria still says, I still wanted to think it was a consequence for sketchy behavior. And she's talking here about why teacher targeted them, that, that they did some sketchy behavior. They had some borderline ruthless vigilante behavior and they were targeted because of that. And, but I think you can extrapolate that out to maybe the tightening in general. Like she wants there to have been a consequence for their behavior that caused this. And, and the answer might not be that easy. Victoria
0: it's like it's like yeah okay maybe it was a consequence for their behavior but now you have to deal with it maybe you should have stepped up and done something about it before it got this far sure, i think is sure. the is kind of the the question the book is asking us to to have in our mind um because, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely like Victor's a piece of shit. Victor. Yeah. Like yeah. Victor deserves every bad thing coming his way. But now you're the one who has to fight giant Titan Victor. <laughs> so <laughs> so like, that's the justification for why you should reach out to Victor before he becomes G- giant Titan Victor, even if he's a piece of shit. Like, I think that's the that's the interesting framing to my mind. Yeah. Anyway, maybe I'm yeah. imposing something on the story.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. I like that a lot.
0: Um, so j- this just occurred to me. And I want to say it before I forget, but the three new Titans are drill bit Mm-hmm. person whose power is a drill and person whose power is to drill into things. <laughs> so I just wonder if there's like some reason why Contessa has selected these three beyond the fact that they were vulnerable.
1: Huh? That's interesting.
0: Like, um, like, 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 like piercing. They all have piercing powers sort yeah. of in, in a certain sense. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens with that.
1: I, I mean, the answer to every question is, I wonder if Contessa picked these people. The answer is always Yes. 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 I mean. Yes. I mean.
0: Yeah. Good point. Yeah. True. So yeah, this is a pretty intense chapter. Um. And I like how even like this short moment of levity surrounding Super Magic Dream Parade naming the new Titaness, Imanohoko, mean, is cast like as as like a joke, mm-hmm. and like Victoria laughs, but like thinks her own laugh sounds unhinged, which is uh, it's a fun way of like having there be levity and also having levity be like oh.
1: <laughs> yeah. It almost you, you
0: laugh too. You laugh at the funniness of it, and then you're like oh. Oh, yeah.
1: um, it, it's hard to remember because it was like a whole week ago, Matt. But when we last left Victoria, we left her in a state of like complete hopelessness. The fa- the final lines of the last Victoria chapter of this one is that hope is gone. No more hope. Yeah. Um. And And so we pick up with her here and she's still fighting because, of course, she is. She's Victoria. But this is as bad as she's ever been. And and this 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 laugh, this unhinged laugh is a perfect kind of visual or auditory representation of that. And it, I love how the text points out that it makes everyone around her uncomfortable, making a special note that aunt Sarah, Sarah is one of them. Yeah. Like she's like kind of creeped out by the laugh too. And which is, like, Sarah doesn't show any emotion. She's kind of weird and standoffish. And even she was like, eh. <laughs> yeah,
0: I like that. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I get, I get like, it's, it's absurd. It's just like, we're, this is the worst it could possibly be. And Team Anime has still managed to make an anime reference in the middle oh, of, of the fight. And sure. And it's, and so like, it's just, it's, you, you, you have to laugh, but it's a, it's a, it's an insane laugh. And I love yeah. it. I love it too. So anyway, Titan Anime is very destructive, especially being enhanced by her connection with Fortuna.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the most visibly shocking moments of this entire battle is when Legend like fires out with this really incredibly bright, thin laser bolt right at Anime Titan, only to have it immediately deflected and then reflected out, raking across our defensive lines, the text says. So it's just like using Contessa's path to victory and this space warping power. They just used Le- Legend's weapon and just killed a whole bunch of people.
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, and the text doesn't even have to say people died because yeah. at this point in the story, you can just assume a, a yeah. whole bunch did. Yeah.
1: Well, plus the word usage there, like raking across our defensive lines, is yeah. so
0: brutish. Right, and Legends' power is not known for being gentle.
1: Yeah, especially when it makes it clear that like he was going all out with this yeah. one. This was not like this was not like rapid fire. This was targeted, pointed, extremely powerful laser.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Kenzie tells Victoria that she is going to show up on the battlefield, uh, which Victoria <laughs> objects to quite strenuously. I
1: love this. I love this so much. You will what? No, I got permission. Don't worry. You got not from me. Look out! Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. It's
0: I, so I, good. I love. Yeah. the 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 lack of composure actually is what sells it and makes it great. Because yeah, like Victoria's yeah. always composed.
1: Yeah, it, it's um, it's really wonderful. Um, and of course we learn that. She's not really on the battlefield. She's yeah. gone. Done. Done. What we I kind of expected was always going to happen with lookout where that she's just like projecting herself and does not to be there anymore.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, Titan shortcut also starts wrecking shit. His power is rocking and knocking over buildings. This cape named Tritium heads to face him and we learn a little bit about her. She is another Alexandria light with this nasty side effect where she becomes more radioactive the more she needs to lean on her power. And uh, after we get this kind of nice introduction to uh, Tritium, the anime titan just nails her out of the sky and just fucking kills her in seconds. <laughs> and it's like horrible and graphic. Um, even as she's doing this, she's also attacking Snuff, another named and beloved character who's and 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 uh, kills him and whoever is near him, which is hopefully not a whole bunch of undersiders and heartbroken.
1: Yeah, we don't actually know how many people died in that hit uh um, yeah. besides Snuff. Snuff is the only one I think we're pretty sure dead. Yeah. Uh, not sure about anyone else. There's yeah. just
0: like a fan of gore though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Victoria then tries to attack the limb that is attacking Snuff, uh fails to stop it from killing him, uh but uh yeah, it just kind of seems like just dozens of people are dying every minute of this fight.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I think people have been dying pretty steadily since the whole titan stuff started but the, i think you're right that the brutality with which victoria is forced to witness this is ramping up uh rest in peace Snuff, we we hardly knew you rest in peace tritium we literally never <laughs> knew you
0: yeah we we did, we just knew you and then we didn't anymore yeah
1: the only thing i know about tritium is it's what dr octopus needed in spider-man 2 to make his reactor work and he yeah. made harry osborne get him more precious tritium so yeah Rest in peace, precious tritium.
0: Yep. Rest in peace, precious tritium. You, you, you want to know how many, uh, neutrons tritium has? Can you guess?
1: It's, it's, no. It's two. But it's try Exactly. That welcomed, doesn't make any sense. Welcome
0: to chemistry.
1: I was going to say three, but I thought you were tricking me. So I just said I didn't. What?
0: Yeah. And deuterium has one neutron.
1: Hey, why? Why?
0: Yeah. Well, it's because hydrogen is the only element with zero. But anyway, uh. Now, gigantic, mostly naked Jiburim Knight shows up and starts fighting, and actually doing a lot to help. This is making a big, uh, big, a big uh, help to the fight. Uh, this thing is like really badass. Um, mm-hmm. And then also Mother of Mothers is also present and like disgorging tides of, of monstrous allies. At first, when Victoria notices her, she thinks that she's a um, Ophian creation, but then we realize it's it's Mother of Mothers just kind of going going nuts.
1: Yeah, I love that moment where she's like. Well, come to think of it, that's weird as fuck. Why is he fighting his own thing? Yeah. And then Rain points it out, I think. Yeah. Um,
0: Yeah. And then Chris uh, reassures everyone that he didn't tell them to help.
1: Yeah. um, (laughs) Sure. Thanks, Chris. No. So, I mean, like, this is really interesting because, like, in her efforts to save lives, Victoria basically, like, carves herself into Anime Titan's wrist and just kind of posts up there Uh (laughs) and then like as she's about to get away shortcut titan pops in to backhand her which is just like a real classic fucking shortcut move yeah um and 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 so basically she gets in this moment where he's about to just smack her and she has to either sacrifice herself or sacrifice wilson and she's willing to let poor wilson die and then bam the explosion happens she gets knocked off course the the gaborum knight is there and she didn't get hit somehow and so Wilson is saved and I guess Victoria too if you're like Chris and you uh-huh. can't tell that 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 she was probably going to be fine it was just a gun that was going to be hit and you don't understand that exactly uh, but come on man that was like definitely Chris like no there's no doubt in my mind that was Chris like he's staring intently at them as if he's controlling them like come on man maybe
0: yeah I, I think that's I think there's a good case that that's true. Uh, yeah, it was definitely Chris, and I'm going to take it another level and say that it was definitely Contessa. Contessa wanted to save Wilson for some purpose. Yeah, that's Wilson. my prediction. Yeah, there you go. Wilson's Wilson. going to be necessary at some point.
1: Wilson is the hero that we all need.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I knew it all along.
1: Wilson is the name of the gun. I don't know if like everyone forgot yeah, we, that we named the gun Wilson for we, some reason.
0: We made that. We made that joke offhand last week. We expect everyone to remember every yes. every reference and every and, small and joke.
1: In joke and reference must be remembered. Yeah. We need a we've got ward glossary. Yeah. yeah. At this point.
0: That's right. Uh so there's this interesting train of thought here where Victoria considers her current relationship with Chris for a minute. Uh, and she thinks about the things that she could say to challenge him. Uh, and then she she doesn't say any of those things.
1: Yeah, but but neither does he, right? Yeah. Like, there is a, there's it's following this great Chris moment where like they're laughing at at what Victoria has done to poor Wilson and both Kenzie and Chris are laughing and then he immediately stops when he realizes Kenzie's laughing because obviously he can't show that he likes Kenzie at all because that would be bad. Yeah. Um but then yeah, like she's thinking to herself, she's wanting to ask him all the questions. Why did you sell me out to my sister? Why did you arrange that? What did you gain? Why would you do that? And she after that, she thinks like he could have brought this up. He'd done that in the past. He has this ammo he can use on me. Why isn't he using it? And And it's this really interesting examination of Chris that carries forward through the rest of the chapter because she brings up this idea that Chris has this ammo he could use on her three times throughout the rest of this chapter. She brings it up. And and so she's really, really focused on the fact that he has this thing he could use on her that he's not doing it and how weird that is and how it's really helping her frame her understanding of, of Chris right now.
0: And also on the other side, she has every right to be like, get the fuck out of here, Chris. I don't want you around. Yeah. And she and, and she could say any number of things, like let, let the team know things they don't necessarily know that would make them side with her. She doesn't do that either. So it's yeah. almost like they both just want the other person around
1: yep yep i yeah. think so too I, I mean like there's this moment right where kenzie celebrates the team getting back together right and yeah. she's bummed out that ashley isn't here but she's happy that everyone else is back together and nobody uh calls her out on that yeah. nobody says Chris isn't part of the team. What are you talking about? Like Chris left the team. He's not part of breakthrough anymore. Everyone's just like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um. Everyone wants Chris back. They like, they've wanted this like a, as terrible as he is. And he is like, I, I, I want to make it clear that like our, our hope for some sort of improvement in Chris is not in any way, minimizing the terrible, terrible, terrible things he's done. Uh, Victoria brings them up again, just in case we forgot right here. He's done awful things. But uh, the tech seems to be moving to a place of understanding and growth.
0: Yeah, I think I I don't remember what exactly I said last week, but and I said this in a a Reddit comment at some point, like my feelings about Chris are that Chris is a two year old baby Mm -hmm. that LabRat downloaded his evil consciousness into and downloaded these like literally biologically programmed directives into. And Chris has been handed a very bad hand in life and He has behaved quite poorly, but there are a lot of extenuating factors surrounding his choices that make me feel like there is at least hope for some kind of redemption for this character, where there probably isn't for a character like Amy. Uh, Yeah, totally. That's why I continue to hold out hope for Chris.
1: I agree. Yeah.
0: Uh, Yeah. So Victoria then gives Wilson to some tinkers to be fixed up.
1: (laughs) The recurring beat, Matt, that has happened it must be 10 times by now of every single Tinker, just like losing their minds over what Victoria has done to this gun. Yeah. It's just it's perfect. It's perfect.
0: Yeah. It's every great.
1: single Tinker is like, what did you do? And by the end, she's just so exasperated. She's like, yeah, I get it. I broke the gun. Just fix it.
0: Yeah. Right. Even even uh, even Kinsey and, and Chris have this yeah. bonding moment over it. Yep, yeah. Yep. So Kenzie says she's glad everybody's here, but she wishes Swan Song were here too. And Rain says that she sort of is. And then he describes how he contacted her and sent her a message um, and says, but if you want all of Breakthrough back together, you got it.
1: Yep. And like you said, at the beginning of the show, this is feels like a climactic moment of the team is back. Um, And we learned some important information here that like Rain did not set out to call Swan Song, it seems right. He kind of describes what he did at the final moments of the last chapter. I didn't have time to think only to act on instinct. I put my hand against the crystal and I transmitted a message. The way they talk, the. I think the way Scion talked, they tap into every part of the overall system that's capable of expressing an idea, every chunk of crystal and part of the greater landscape that had stored data that relates to that idea, each one given a different weight. And the message I chose, it woke her up, got her attention. She appeared for a moment. I'm pretty sure she's there here helping now. So it wasn't like he said, Swan song, deliver message. It was more like he went to deliver a message and that message resonated with Swan song in some way that got her attention
0: yeah um i like that reading i don't know if that's what occurred to me the first time but now that you've said it i think i do see it similarly um, and i mean
1: it's not to say the message was not designed for swan song it could have been because like the, the thing that gets him thinking about this is like if if you're if a friend of yours if if a friend friend of yours were standing where you are right now what would you tell them and that's what gets him to trigger this idea, right? So it seems natural that you could extend that. The fret he he thinks about swan song in this moment. and He thinks, okay, there's a friend standing here, and I can tell them something, and they can maybe do something. So I think I think it's possible that, like. This mess the the message was designed to get Swansong's Song's attention, but it's not like he like just said like dialed Swansong Song up on the phone. Like she responded yeah. in some way. It just I think this helps frame just ideas about what this what this word he could have said is because it is something that is important enough to Swansong Song to get her attention. Yeah,
0: she responded specifically, not just yeah. incidentally, because she's someone he knew. Yeah. Um, I want to connect that to the idea of, of reach out. You know, we haven't talked about that specifically in a while, but. You know, Rain, Rain is in this moment of being alone and Gil prompts him with this idea of like, what, what are you going to do? And his first thought is, oh, I, I need to reach out to another person. Uh, this thing that has fallen off of Victoria's mantra completely, which is super bad because if she still thought about that, then it might help her. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Yeah. I hadn't framed it like that. But as soon as you said that, I was like, yeah, absolutely. Of course, that makes perfect sense. That's yeah. exactly what he's doing.
0: Yeah uh so at this point tristan mentions that drill bit and the custodian are now titans uh i, I really want to see what form custodian will take uh because she was already kind of uh tight in my opinion her name is overseer matt god i know i know yeah I, I have no idea will she take a
1: physical form or not i i don't know i don't know
0: she's already ridiculous so it'll, it'll be even <laughs> yeah, worse i'm it's sure it's very scary it's yeah. very scary um yeah So uh, Tristan then asks if everybody, if anybody else considers themselves to be at risk of tightening.
1: And then Scott grabs his computer monitor and screams into it. Yes. All literally all of them. Yes. Everyone, Tristan. All of them.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah. And even (laughs) even Victoria agrees with this, right? She's like, I could have called out any member of this team with Chris as the only possible exception, except that they would have turned around and said the same about me yeah
0: yeah true yeah accurate therefore let's just plunge into this shit (laughs) yeah Yeah, it's man yeah i know uh i mean so as she's thinking all of this and like you you really see her working herself up to the point of being like we're all compromised i'm compromised i'm gonna Mm -hmm. think that thought in my brain i'm compromised yep and and she, she victoria opens her mouth to either to say this or to say hey let's see what natalie has to say uh, and get her objectivity because that would actually be really valuable right now. Um, but Tristan opened his mouth at the same time, and Victoria decides to defer to Tristan, knowing that he's kind of sensitive about leadership right now. And that leads to her not saying what she was going to say. All of this, the like the the clockwork precision of it, kind of feels like dominoes falling to me. Kind of feels like a Contessa thing.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it feels like a contessa thing and it also just feels like story structure wise. Yes, that th- too. Th- this is the moment, right? Like <laughs> st- stories are a combination of these tiny moments to add up to to this this kind of cause and effect chain that add up to the end of our our, our story. But this one feels like one of the keystone moments, right? Yeah. That, that maybe the rest of the novel is going to hinge on. Victoria... Is, is almost like you just talked about her reach out adage, and she's almost falling back on it here in this moment, right? Like she she recognizes that they don't have the context to make this decision and wants to defer to Natalie's judgment, which is a huge thing because she doesn't do that very often. She says here even that Natalie is a member of the team. That doesn't happen very often either. And and she says all this knowing that Natalie would probably look right in Victoria's eyes and say, I think you are susceptible to cracking. um, And, and yet she wants to do it anyway. But... Tristan speaks up at the same time. And because of what Sveta said earlier about him wanting leadership, she doesn't speak up. She lets him speak and she drops her point. And we just kind of move on from this moment, this, this key moment where they all could have just said, Hey, yeah, we're all, we're all really compromised here. And if we go forward, we're all at risk of tightening. Um, and yet, and, and that just passes us by.
0: It is interesting because, what if they had i immediately was like okay well what if they had been like yeah i mean we're all at risk does that mean they shouldn't fight because it seems like they need bodies on that battlefield right so sure, sure. i mean i mean and i'm not, i mean i'm not even asking rhetorically like should they just retreat like is it better to not risk creating more titans and just let them just let them have their win i mean i, I don't think so because my understanding is that their win would result in the world being blown up so I I don't think they have that option. So I don't know. It's int- it's just an interesting like I don't really know what uh, what they were supposed to do, you know.
1: Yeah, I don't know either. Um I, I do think it goes back to that conversation that happened in the house just about like when is it okay to step back? When is it okay to to let some count on someone else to take care of this when you realize that you're not at your best. Um and and maybe maybe in this situation there is never that moment, but maybe just by acknowledging the risk of it, it changes how you react to certain things in the moment. Yeah. Um, and they don't kind of do that
0: here. So. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, yeah. So Tristan instead says that everybody should agree that it's better to be dead than to be a Titan. And everybody except Chris agrees with that uh, because he <laughs> wants to be one. Uh, but as Victoria thinks he's a scared kid and in his fear, he's taking refuge with his friends. And I think that means he's actually not going to crack.
1: Yeah, I I think you're right. I think you're right. And but uh, so this group, Chris aside, all despite all being on the verge of cracking, decides to carry forward to go on. And their back their backup plan is let's just fucking kill each other. If it comes to that,
0: Uh huh.
1: let's just fucking waste each other, which makes sense. Like, obviously, being a Titan is way worse than dying. Right. It seems. But it just doesn't seem like a great plan. No, just. It's like, okay, let's just all say we're good. And then if any of us feel like we're about to go, just fucking shoot him in the head. Right. Problem solved, baby. You know
0: how in zombie movies when uh, (laughs) when somebody gets bitten by a zombie and then everybody else just immediately kills them without hesitation and and remorse, and and don't feel about it. And there's and there's never any plot points in zombie movies where they're like, I can't do it. He's my (laughs) brother. And then and then the zombie gets them. That never that never happens. Yeah. I mean, sarcastic. Yeah, yeah
1: and, and like I mean, I I think it's so, we like to to I think that Wildbo sells this as a bad decision through Victoria's lack of speaking. Like 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 if if this whole situation had played out and we didn't get to hear what Victoria was about to say, what she was about to suggest, what she was about to think that they should do, the scene would play out entirely differently, right? But because we see her about to make a decision and then retract that decision. Based off of what Tristan says, like it just is a way to telegraph to your readers that this is maybe the wrong move to make in this moment.
0: I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, Yeah. Uh, So the chapter ends with Rain showing uh, some confidence. Yeah. And, and he <laughs> says that the message that he relayed was one word with a million million facets to it, which to me, I guess I can mean, I, I read that as like. It's, it's not, it's not one word. It's actually a complicated, super complicated concept Sure. that we can't just, but maybe it has one word you can hang it on. I mean, honestly, I immediately, my mind went to like destination agreement where it was always obvious that destination was like a, a complicated, you know, trajectory proposal. Um. So yeah. like if there is one word, then it's a, it's one word with a lot behind it. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. And, and so so let's talk about this word, though. Yeah. Like, I think first we need to set up, we're basically explicit, almost explicitly told between these two things that um, everything that's happened up until this point is Titan Fortuna's plan, where they hit, when they hit, uh, exactly where they carved off pieces, exactly the successes they made, the way they changed powers. All of it is playing into... Titan Fortuna's plan. So nothing they can do will make a difference, except except what Rain did, except the one-word message that Rain sent out to the only person that Titan Fortuna could not see, which of course has to be Contessa herself, right? The child Fortuna that that, and and I think that like this, there's so many things that align to make that true, right? We had this interlude where we pointed out specifically that there is this. "Quote unquote," child Fortuna still alive in there, and that they are are working together because they are both in agreement about what they don't want, which is to be enslaved. Um It just makes sense that that would be who it is, right? It just makes perfect sense.
0: I have a hard time seeing it being anyone different. That was my yeah. assumption.
1: Well, because it's not like like the first time I read it, I was like, "Well, let's think about the blind spots," and 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 then you go read the chapter, and it's not like, and it's not like. A message reached out to one of the people that she can't see. It's the one person, the one person that Titan Fortuna cannot see. Yeah. Um. And and who else can that be? But Contessa herself.
0: So. Yeah, I think that's. I think that's right. I so think what's right.
1: so what's the message, Matt? What's the message?
0: I mean, after this conversation, I want to say something along the lines of like, "Uh, reach out," <laughs> but. But but I mean, I, I feel like it's going to be something where like it's obvious in retrospect, but yeah. like if, if I just say it right now, it's not going to it's not going to have a lot of weight to it. Um,
1: yeah, the, the thing I grasped onto a lot in in this whole thing was the scene that rain sees when he slides into the crystal to relay, relay this message. Right. Because so we get this very brief moment where rain sees a courtroom mm-hmm. um, and we don't get much information beyond that. But where in the story were courtrooms. Um, the big, the big moments of the story where there were courtrooms where after the fallen fall, um, rain and Ashley were basically taken to court to answer for their crimes. Um, rain basically, it's like, it's not like a trial. They're both like pre trial. It's things. like a hearing
0: of some kind. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and, and so rain, we, we are there. So there's, there's two moments where this could be true. And I think it works for both of them because it also kind of explains why Ashley is there interested as well. Right. Cause they both sat before, um, not a judge per se, but a, a, a tribunal sounds more serious than it is. They sat before some people who are considering their case and trying to decide their fate. Um, and what is the thing that happens in rain's court thing that is so important to rain's growth in the story? The one thing that happens is the friend of Everly's appears before the the court and tells Rain that she forgives him. Um, that is, I think, the big takeaway from that scene is that one moment. That's like the scene the chapter ends on. At La- I went back and reread it, and I was still so touched by it. The chapter ends with Victoria said, if only, if only we all had a person like this that could forgive us of, of the crimes that we did. And so what I'm proposing here is what if the message to Child Fortuna, what if the message to Contessa is something about forgiveness, um something about this idea of forgiveness because i i i like we talked about like one word with a million million facets to it and you and i have talked at length about how everyone interprets forgiveness differently right like yeah. like what is forgiveness for someone forgiveness to like extending forgiveness accepting forgiveness what it means what it doesn't mean uh the the power of it the 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 right of it or the 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 choice of it like is this this word this concept that means a million million different things to each and every person that that encounters it and like it makes sense to Ashley that Ashley would be interested in this it makes sense to every single member of Breakthrough it could be something to do with Contessa you know I think a lot about Contessa's final moments with Taylor at the end of Worm where we like she's basically quizzing her but also like showing a reflection of her own personal feelings right like was it worth it do you regret the things that you do does contessa regret the things that she did does contessa regret the choices that she made or or didn't make rather um in everything that led up to the end of that story so how could could that could that fall into this whole thing in a very interesting way and the more I think about it, the more I like it. I don't, I have no idea if this is where the direction the story is going, but the more I think about it, the more I really, really like this concept.
0: Yeah. It's certainly a central theme of this work and it would be very appropriate for this to be kind of the the key. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I think that's, to me, one of the strongest things it has going for it is like, okay, yes, you have, you have said the, you have said one of the major themes of the work and when you put that in this in this scene, in, in the courtroom context, in the Ashley context, in the Fortuna context, in the possible solution to the problem context, yeah, it's a pretty good answer. So I like it.
1: Yeah. Well, we will see probably like as we're recording this, the chapter is going to be out any minute. So it's one of those <laughs> things that's just going to be proven immediately wrong Potentially. any moment now. But yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I think wherever the story goes, it will be interesting. But I really like this idea. So yeah. we'll see.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I feel like I, I feel like even forgiveness slash what I said about like reaching out to other people. Yeah. that's like clear. Clearly, that's going to be that's going to be involved somehow. Like that's there's no way it's not. And I'm not saying the message specifically, but I mean, like this, the the solution to how all of this falls out. Yeah. Because um, because like these 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 elements are all in play. They have to be employed somehow. So. Sure. Sure. All right. Moving on to the discussion question.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Last week the question was talk about one way that the concept of memory is used in Ward. Rid Tom says the shards are the apex of memory. We've known for some time that the shards remember everything and that their original memories essentially imprinted on them and cause them to reenact the same experience over and over again. In Ward we see that the shards organize their understanding of the world via memories of their hosts, wastes comes to respect your host through these memories, grasping self manipulates cradle using memories and three phase uses memories in a very straightforward utilitarian way. The Titans seem to be founded in, in memory and, and the giants are rooted in the memories of their past lives. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's true. I think just talking about the, the, the shards as being these creatures of memory is a really cool idea.
1: Yeah. Now I'm starting to wonder if, uh, rain's message to, uh, Fortuna was not forgiveness, but, but like a lion King, Remember who you are.
0: <laughs> Not exactly like that, yeah. Exactly, yeah. That is perfect. Uh, <laughs> okay. Up
1: next, we have Sarah Penguin, who talks about four characters: Mark. Carol Vicky and Amy in worm Mark suffered head trauma character Carol also gets head trauma leading to probable memory loss she's not actually certain that Vicky is Mark's kid Victoria suffers flashbacks and often dissociates or engages in self-destructive behavior Amy's power is to cause trauma including mental and neurological trauma fucking with memories so yeah that's like a really great way in which our uh, our Dallin family and the concept of memory kind of all circle around each other yeah
0: memory memory disruption um yeah like like not not just memory but like specifically problems with memory i I would say Um, repressed memories and changed memories and yeah it's it's really interesting the the idea i I like i like this idea that amy's power is to cause trauma like that's her power her power is trauma yeah yeah Um, i like that
1: a lot i mean i uh, hate it but i like it
0: user you got a better idea mentions the capricorn brothers and how basically half of their memories since triggering are not from their own point of view the story doesn't delve into it too deeply but they still end up with different perspectives on certain events despite having both experienced them from the same set of eyes um, yeah that's that's a really cool idea Um, I, I think i i think last week i was like yeah like all, all the breakthrough members have something going on with memory except capricorn but yeah, this is a great point.
1: I, I think you got a better idea as kind of responding to your prompt to be like, hey, can someone figure out how Capricorn ties into that thesis? Yeah. And I think this is a really great idea that, yeah, like they remember things that they experience but not experience because it is not them. They're in this pocket world seeing through the same eyes. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. All right. Das Nouveau discusses how the fact that bone saw clones in worm had their host's memories never sat entirely right with them, but ward fleshes this out by showing us the shards have re imported a lot of memories. Yeah. So that I think maybe fills a, a hole that Das of had in the story that like how were like, that was something I didn't really understand either. It's like this concept of like, where's this coming from? Like, how is this possible? How is this central idea possible? And now we kind of have uh, an explicit way in which this works because we have these shards, which are just basic big old memory banks.
0: We've talked a ton about personhood, right? And yeah, and like it's it's interesting to just talk about the connection between memory and personhood because we give sure. we give Ashley a lot of credit for being an extension of the original Ashley Stilson, largely on the basis of just memories, right? I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. she's a genetic clone also, but 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 without the memories, I don't think we would say she is Ashley. Yeah, it's just fascinating. It's, just it's really so cool.
1: fascinating. I I like this
0: book. Me too. Death of the Artist drills down to talk about a remembrance, specifically. The story repeatedly turns to the idea of honoring the dead, wh- whether the past should be forgiven or forgotten, and things of this nature. The first line of the story concerns the idea that they've accidentally memorialized their trauma by making the city gold. Then Victoria is interrupted when somebody crashes their car into a memorial pillar. And they say, it's about the tension between past and present, between collective memory and remembrance, with present need and forward thinking. I love that. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I I like this. I mean, the not just memory but memorial. I, I like that that connotation, the connotation of of how much should we how much time and energy should we spend on remembering? Um, that's that's totally a theme of the story.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Gosh, I love that. Yeah. Alright, last but certainly not least, we have Farm Fresh Hornets, who talks about Byron and Tristan's trigger event. They say they both earnestly believe that their version of events are true because they remember things happening differently. One of the most important ideas about memory, which is central to the struggle between the Capricorn boys, is that memory is faulty, flawed, incomplete. Even beyond the usual referenced fact that our memories change and distort over time, there's the fact that memories are limited by our perspectives. You don't remember something unless you're looking for it when the memory gets encoded. We see this idea again and again in the who have arguably perfect memory but only focus on certain ideas and organize by certain themes. Uh, wow like that a whole lot that's kind of expanding up upon you got a better ideas kind of central Capricorn thesis in a way that I am really into.
0: Yeah you know this actually made me wonder like what if the shards do record absolutely everything but they only organize and bother to like index the stuff that has to do with you know, trauma and pain and shit like that because yeah. that's what they're going to be using. But like, what if there's just this vast, vast database somewhere that's like everything that's happened on Earth since they arrived? Yeah. Um. I mean, that would be I don't know if the story would do anything with that, if that if that were the case. But I mean, it's at least potentially true.
1: Some somehow we always go back to data analytics. Somehow <laughs> we're just we're always back there.
0: That's what this book is about. <laughs> um. All right. So. The discussion question for next week is: um, Who's your favorite character who was introduced only to die five seconds later, <laughs> and what was their storytelling purpose or function?
1: Precious tritium.
0: So, um, after after the tritium incident, it occurred to me that there have been many instances without all pair, and and I guess I'll say throughout all pair humans, there have been many instances where a character will will be introduced and then they'll be killed off like immediately. And by immediately, I don't necessarily mean literally immediately, but like in in pretty short order. And usually there's like a point to it. Right. There's like a reason why they I I mean, I mean, there's always a point to it because it's wild, though. But like like try to figure out the point of introducing and having that character be there is what I'm saying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. Yeah. Cool. I I am really interested to see. I I I can think of a couple Um, happens at the end of the book a lot. Like I remember there's Summit Worm and and. it's rough. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I feel like this is maybe it's just cause I've been reading a lot of Stephen King for this whole huge podcast we're doing. But uh-huh. like, I feel like this is a King ism as well, where he just like really loves fleshing out characters that, that might have no purpose in the story other than to just die in this one moment. Like he's still <laughs> like King still gives time and effort to like the building the backstory for these characters. And I think Wildbow is the same in that moment. Like, did it matter that Tritium was this person who, um, like, was near invincible but then realized that their power was slowly killing the people around them so they had to leave them all behind like did that matter to the impact of her death not necessarily but also yeah kind of because we see it as like a person
0: we see it as a person and also she's a she's an alexandria light which automatically makes me think of victoria sure so sure. it's like this is a, this is somebody with their own struggle we immediately connect them to victoria mentally splat yeah. they're dead yep okay well that's <laughs> that's scary to us yep yeah.
1: So I think there's find some characters like that in these books and uh, and talk about them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all we've got for you this week on We've Got Ward. You guys are all part of this show, so feel free to provide us with advice, questions, or thoughts on this week's reading.
1: You can reach out to us via email at our email. I don't know why I did it that way? Gotwormpod at gmail.com or over on our Twitter account at Gotwormpod. My personal Twitter is at Scott Daily eighty five, and Matt's is at Shortcut Defender Moradina Mail.
0: <laughs> uh, I remember when I wrote tr- uh, shortcuts trigger event in the Discord. That was fun. Yeah, you uh, awful. If you're- if you're not already subscribed to We've Got Ward, we strongly recommend you do so and never miss an episode. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else in the world you can listen to podcasts.
1: And as always, you can find all the shows we do over at our website, doofmedia.com. That's where you can find Deep and who I think they're just like a month away now, just like a month away from being finished with Pact. So there's still time to hop aboard that train and witness them witness the end of that story. Um, I'm chugging right along too, Matt. Yeah. We'll see.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I like I said before, I kind of go in fits and starts of like a few episodes a day and then I take a break. But, um, yeah, that's, that's fun. I'm excited for them to get to the end of that. Um, do the right thing is, is going, going along. The, uh, the contest ended, uh, as of, I guess, today, this recording. So, so that's over, but it's going to take us some time to put together all the contest entries and and get the uh, get the voting sorted out. We've never done this before, um, but uh, you know, bear with us, and we'll have that done. And then we'll have some really awesome stories for you all to read.
1: Yeah, I was I was blown away by the entries to that. Um, it's, uh, it's incredible. Um, the numbers I haven't actually read that. The numbers, <laughs> the number of entries, uh, just so excited thank you writers out there that participated that's that's really great yeah um and we're going to be doing another fan art contest here uh possibly the last fan art contest of ward oh my gosh um we're going to be doing that pretty soon so we'll be announcing that within the next couple weeks so look for that
0: yeah uh so if you like any of our shows and you want to support them consider donating to our patreon account at patreon.com slash doofmedia if you donate at the $10 level then you get access to um uh exclusive content uh that is created by the doof folks which is basically uh the deep impact guys the medium d guys and me and scott um this Don't this, forget uh, to do
1: the right thing guys. And,
0: and The deep impact wh- guys wh- and the medium
1: guys are the same guys. But that's
0: true the deep impact guys. Yeah, I, I, my my brain skipped a gear. Um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it, it, it actually takes different forms. Um, originally, it was just going to be written content by me and Scott, but it, but actually, uh, it has actually turned out to be just a variety of things that that we will cr- kind of create and 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 uh, distribute to that ten dollar level. So, so that's what you get for ten bucks. Yeah, um, yeah, just and- some
1: fun some fun bonus content for those that pledge to us at that level. So thank you to everyone that does it at the uh, the Doof Troop
0: level. That's right. Um, And then, of course, while you're over there on Patreon, head on over to patreon.com slash Wildo and donate to him as well. This is his world. We are just playing in it.
1: That is right.
0: This week, special thanks to new Bidoof's Max P and Sam M and new Doof Dancers Peter M and Kim L. Thank you so much. Appreciate y'all a ton.
1: Yes. And if you cannot afford to donate, that is absolutely okay. We love all of our listeners. Equally. We're, we're, we're amazing like that. Uh, you can, of course, instead help us out. I was just kidding. Don't get mad at me. Uh, by heading over to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher uh, and leaving us a rating and a review. This week we have a new review by longtime listener Kippos, who gives us five stars and says, one of the best analysis podcasts out there. Oh. I have listened to hundreds of hours of Scott and Matt's analysis of Worm and Ward. Their analysis introduced me to uncountable ways of thinking about books and analysis of media, as well as introducing me to the podcasting scene. Oh, it's a great scene. (laughs) Welcome, Kippos. We've Got Ward as one of the highlights of my week, and I'm always excited to get new episodes when they come out. Well, we are excited, too. Thank you so much, Kippos. And thank you, everyone, that has taken the time to leave those rating and reviews. They really honestly do help us a whole, whole bunch.
0: Yes, thank you so much. And that's all we have for you this week. We'll be back next week with two more chapters where presumably Rain will continue being the best hero ever.
1: Remember who you are. That's my, uh, that's my, why can't I think of his name? Oh my God. Mufasa. Yeah, but who's the actor?
0: Uh, uh, Darth Vader, James Earl Jones.
1: James Earl Jones. Thank you. That's my James Earl. It's bad. It's not good. No one can do a good James Earl Jones.
0: This is CNN.
1: Yeah, yeah, you messed it up. I'm, um, I'm just gonna delete that out. It's not even worth keeping. It's awful. This is awful.